following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. As you turn out your Bible, do 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as we continue in this series, studying one of Paul's earliest letters. In the story, Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini, a World War II hero and prisoner of war, Zamperini is faced with a choice while under capture in Japan. After suffering months of ill treatment and torture, he is offered luxury if he would only speak on broadcast radio. So Louis is offered lodging and new clothes and plenty of delicious food, all the things he'd been denied in a prisoner of war camp. And on the radio, his first time, he merely affirms that he is alive, broadcast around the world in the United States. But his next time he is to speak on the radio, he's given a script a script requiring him to participate with the Japanese in broadcasting falsehoods about the true treatment of the prisoners, American prisoners of war. Zamperini knows that if he refuses, it will mean returning to the prisoner of war camp, more horrendous torture, and the likelihood of death. Even still, Zamperini courageously refuses to participate in the enemy's propaganda war machine. He illustrates well the nature of worldly wisdom that caters to comfort and self at the expense of truth and righteousness. But the wisdom that comes from the Spirit affirms the message of the cross, which oftentimes requires rejection and involves persecution. In our text tonight, we meet a great war between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God, a war in which there will be no compromise, no truce, only final and decisive victory. I begin reading 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your spirit. The spirit gives us wisdom and understanding and insight into all things. And we cry out to you for wisdom and insight into your word that we might apply it to our lives in a way that pleases you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. An American sniper, the story of Chris Kyle, the most lethal sniper in American military history, credited with over 150 successful kills through four tours in Iraq and other places, we find a grim picture of nations and ideologies at war. In one scene, Chris Kyle peers through the scope of his rifle at a mother and son, an Iraqi mother and son approaching an oncoming company of Marines. He notices they, the mother and son pair have an explosive. Kyle is required to shoot to kill to save his comrades' lives. Yet in another scene, Kyle peers through his scope and sees a boy hoisting a shoulder rocket launcher, ready to aim it at oncoming tanks and marine soldiers. And Kyle says to himself, begging the boy to put the weapon down. Thankfully, the boy lays it aside and runs off in fear, saving his own life and sparing the lethal sniper from having to make yet another kill. Contrast Chris Kyle's regard for life, his desire to protect his own, and his regard to uh, minimize collateral damage in warfare with that of an Iraqi enemy nicknamed the Butcher, who would use carving knives and power tools to torture not only his enemies, but even his own people who crossed his agenda. Like World War II, the wars in Iraq reveal a conflict of ideologies between freedom and tyranny. One kind of wisdom respects the dignity of man. The other wisdom of sorts robs man of his dignity with oppression. These two wisdoms are irreconcilable. Now, certainly the American military is not blameless in its history of efforts against evil regimes, but in some small ways illustrates, well, a great battle taking place between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And there is ultimately only one wisdom that pleases God, that works out practically in this life, and serves to cause people to truly prosper in God's sight. As believers, we find ourselves caught 
in a war of competing wisdoms. And by Scripture's guidance, we must learn to yield to the wisdom of the cross through faith in Jesus Christ. Tonight, I would have us seek to understand the wisdom of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by three contrasts. The contrast between false wisdom and true wisdom, between worldly and godly wisdom, and finally, natural versus spiritual wisdom. You may recall from chapter 1 when Paul uh, speaks of the, the Greek fetish to seek wisdom. And as he intends in his ministry, he, he expresses his intent to impart wisdom to the mature, to those who are ready to receive it. And he says that this is not the wisdom of the age, nor the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But this is the wisdom from God. Like the ancient Greeks, we live in a day and age that desires wisdom and knowledge. Books and internet sites abound. People spend thousands of dollars to send their children to our best universities to achieve a degree. Our graduates come out of school with thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Medical students come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. They seek a knowledge that is profitable in this age, but will ultimately pass away. The gospel is the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom that was decreed before the ages began to benefit us into eternal glory. Paul says that this wisdom of God is not secret in the sense that God hid it from us capriciously. It's not a dirty little secret, nor is God hoarding this wisdom. Rather, it's like God is like a loving parent waiting for the right time to bestow a precious gift, maybe at Christmas or the birthday for an unsuspecting, well-loved child. The father, at just the right time, chose to make known the hidden wisdom. You recall that God had promised to Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and to the Israelite people that he would bring blessing to the nations and the knowledge of salvation. Now, Paul will further develop this theme in his letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians. This mystery hidden for the ages, now made known through the church to reveal the riches of the glory of the knowledge of Christ for the lost who need salvation. And this is a wisdom that was offered to all and yet rejected by the rulers and the authorities of Jesus' day. Those who clung to a false wisdom and by it they crucified the Christ. Verse 8 speaks of largely the Jewish and Roman leaders who despised the message of Jesus, who rejected his submission to God the Father, who hoarded their own positions of power and authority. They had seen... Jesus' miracles. They had heard his unanswerable wisdom, and yet they denied his power and authority, trusting to their own futile wisdom. Paul here quotes Isaiah 64 in verse 9, which appeals to the greatness, it magnifies the greatness of God's wisdom, where no human eye, no human ear or heart can comprehend what God has revealed and made known to his people. 
The truth of God's wisdom must be revealed. God must choose to open it. We, in our limited, finite minds, cannot pry our way into it. We must receive it as a free gift. And it comes only to those who love him and trust in him. If you're like me, you are not so fond, have not so fond memories of what was known as true and false tests. From our grade school days, from our college days, and it would seem so simple that a question that only has two options would be easy to answer, but, but we know you had that teacher who just loved to befuddle unprepared students by packing a statement with all kinds of truth, but just one little bit of falsehood made the whole thing false. And just when you were eager to mark true, you had to read the whole thing and discover, no, it must be false. It doesn't matter how true the true part was. Just a little bit of falsehood makes the whole thing untrue. Recently, Jehovah's Witnesses stopped by our house. I didn't have time to talk with them, but we took their literature, and my wife and I resolved to follow up with our children and talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults who, who affirm many good things. These are oftentimes very good and moral people, the kind of people you would love to have as a neighbor. They believe in the Bible. They believe in God as creator. They call Jesus the Son. Many, many good things. And yet when you tease it out, they reject the deity of Christ. They fail to affirm the most essential truth of biblical Christianity. Their falsehoods are not printed on the front page of their literature, but that one bit of falsehood mutes all other teachings that appear consistent with biblical truth. You may be well aware in recent months, in recent years, young people from America and Europe are being enticed through social media to join ISIS, the radical Islamic group fighting for territorial control in places like Syria and Iraq. Apparently, recruiters from these organizations prey upon the disillusioned who are disgusted with the material wealth and the immorality running rampant in our cultures. They promise them glory, even eternal paradise in death. Even women, young women, are willing to become hardly better than slaves as wives to these, to these fighters and mothers to their children. It's preposterous. But such are those who reject the wisdom of God in favor of falsehood. You see, false wisdom is consumed with power and glory and human ambition, yet in the end proves empty. It will all waste away. True wisdom is consumed with the power and the glory of Christ. By a suffering and death in the place of sinners. It's something, it's a message that no human mind could have possibly conceived. No ancient writer could have made this up. A crucified hero, when crucifixion was an abomination, shameful in the eyes of both Jews and Greeks. And yet the gospel 
is the very wisdom and power of God. In verses 10 and 11, Paul reminds us that the Spirit searches the very depths of God and comprehends the thoughts of God. In verse 12, he says that we have received not the Spirit of the world, rather the Spirit from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us in Christ. Worldly wisdom is rooted in worldly assumptions. It is commonly held today that the universe began with an uncaused Big Bang, that higher life evolved from primitive life, that all religions are equally true and equally false. And consistent with this way of thinking, it is taken for granted that biblical and traditional sexual ethics can be cast off in favor of personal choice. Marriage can now be redefined to suit our preferences. If the economy needs more money, just print more. We just need more government to fix our problems, regardless of the less freedoms and less taking of personal responsibility. If your marriage is unhappy, you are free to leave it, regardless of what the Bible teaches. Besides, God's highest priority is my own happiness. Well, I have news for the proponents of worldly wisdom that that God's highest priority is his own glory. You see, worldly wisdom caters to self. Do what is good and true for you, it says. And we should be reminded that Jesus was tempted by worldly wisdom. Satan himself challenged Christ Turn this stone into bread. You're hungry, right? Cast yourself off the top of the temple. Let's make sure the Father will catch you. His own brothers wanted to be his his marketing agents, pushing him to go public and establish a real movement. Even the disciples were worldly. Peter would have nothing to do with Jesus' talk of suffering and being crucified, mere utter nonsense. Jesus rejected worldly wisdom and submitted himself to his father's godly wisdom. He knew that his father's wisdom would secure the salvation of all God's people, past, present, and future. Worldly wisdom will die with the world, the scripture says, will burn in fire and be remade again. There's perhaps no greater practical, uh, vivid description of these contrasts of wisdoms than when it comes to everyday interpersonal conflict. See, worldly wisdom, when it comes to conflict, worldly wisdom urges us to seek our own benefit— to admit little, if any, wrong, to accuse and blame others, guilty or not. Get yourself a lawyer, maximize your benefits, stick it to others, and you're entitled to payments. Not long ago, I was asked by my sister to give her counsel with the interpersonal conflict she found herself in with a longtime friend, a mother of a son who played with her son's baseball team, And my sister was having a feud with her friend 
And as she described her friend, it became clear to me that this friend was very strong-willed, was very self-righteous, was kind of a tiger mom who, whose children could do no wrong, who couldn't take being confronted, and kind of sounded like a friendship you could do without. But my sister wanted to try what she could to redeem the friendship. And she'd been given all kinds of worldly advice to ignore her, to attack her on social media, to gather her friends together and gang up on her, to use texting and social media to fire back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I encouraged my sister to reject that worldly counsel, to actually go to her friend, to plead with her to meet in person, to talk face-to-face, to give the friend an opportunity to express grievances she had against my sister, that she would listen and acknowledge her own wrong, would even ask for forgiveness, and yet in turn would ask the same respect from her friend, to be willing for my sister to express her own grievances and to seek reconciliation with her friend. You see, we we oftentimes resort to worldly wisdom when it comes to conflict because we are afraid to confront. We get hardened in our bitterness. We misunderstand confession and forgiveness. We're too proud to admit fault. We're self-protective. We fail to become vulnerable and to lend trust. True godly wisdom in the likeness of Christ is meek, submissive to God's Holy Spirit. Obedience in conflict means to admit one's fault, to confess sin, to ask forgiveness, to demonstrate repentance, to pursue and seek reconciliation, to show grace and mercy. Godly wisdom is messy. Jesus was crucified. And you and I, in the midst of worldly conflict, we also can be crucified by way of character assassination, rejection, betrayal, victims of fault finding. We can lose face. But if we are to engage in conflict, if we are to engage in relationships in the fear of God to please our Father— We can't overcome our fears to confront our spouses, our children, a parent, a boss, a neighbor, anybody who has some power and influence over us. It may cost us. We may lose a relationship. We may suffer demotion. We may lose some reputation. But by God's Spirit... We can choose godly wisdom over worldly wisdom as we learn to die to self, to yield our will to the one who desires to conform us into the very image of his own son. Well, back to verse 10, we are reminded that the Spirit is the one who searches all things, even the depths of God. God is infinite. And and no human mind can fully comprehend who God is, but says only the Spirit can fully comprehend God. 
you know, I think I know my wife pretty well after 17 years of marriage. I can think of couples who've been married a long time, and they can almost read each other's minds, and they can finish their sentences. But even the closest marriage or friendship in this life cannot even compare to the intimate knowledge shared between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the good news of the gospel is that you and I are invited into that fellowship. We are brought into that company to share intimate knowledge with the triune Godhead. And true godly wisdom is something the world does not know. For it's a wisdom not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. And so finally, we contrast natural and spiritual wisdom. Paul says in verse 14 that the natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. He, he does not understand it. He is spiritually discerned. Scripture says that each of us are born into this world dead, to the things of God. And and people truly are dull spiritually. No matter how much they insist or try to persuade you otherwise. You know, we live a day and age where there are many skeptics, many who outright reject religion, and yet lots of people claim to be spiritual. It must be in vogue to be considered a spiritual person. And you you can see indicators of this with the rise of yoga and other Eastern mysticism and meditation exercises, things that are trying to get in touch with something beyond the self, or maybe going into uh, losing one's consciousness. But what I found is that, that the natural person is proud, is proud in his or her inability to access the things of God, and not wanting to admit need and helplessness wanting to claim this, this right, this entitlement that I can, I can grab hold of the Spirit, I can gain access to the mind or the knowledge of God, demanding that it's available to all, refusing to affirm the Bible's indictment on our own depravity, our own darkness, our own inability to do anything unless it is received as a gift by faith in Christ. You know, I think people without the Spirit, they, they desire a kind of wisdom, but it's a, a salvation through effort, through their own reason, their own goodness and accomplishment. But I think even believers struggle here. It is hard for us to humble ourselves to admit our helplessness and desperation, that we only gain the will and the wisdom of God through the power of Christ. And that's a lesson we have to learn and relearn over and over on our knees and through our own weakness and frailty. But for the truly spiritual person, the one in whom the Spirit dwells, it says here that we can make true judgments. That we can, by the Spirit's power, comprehend the gospel to claim the truth and reject error. Even if we are mocked by those who disdain the cross, we can withstand the judgments of others, as Paul goes on to ask rhetorically in verse 16, quoting Isaiah 40, who has understood the mind of the Lord? 
Well, that question is answered in Christ. We only know and understand the mind of the Lord through Jesus Christ. It's by Christ that we gain understanding. It's by Christ that light comes into our darkness. It's by Christ that our confusion now becomes clear. It's only through Christ that we make sense in meeting of this distorted world. That we gain purpose and direction and identity, make sense of our sorrow and our hopes. You see, God had hid this from the wise and revealed it to mere babes, and he has made it known to you and I who are willing to humble ourselves and submit to the cross of Christ, to believe upon him alone for salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and to enter into eternal fellowship with the Godhead. And this is gained regardless of your IQ, or the level of your education, how articulate you are, how, many, how much accomplishments you have gained, no matter how much or how little you have achieved approval and recognition in this life, it is by faith that we gain the mind of Christ. You know, there are very few people in the council of the President of the United States. Recall a few years ago when Obama, President Obama made the decision to capture and to assassinate Osama bin Laden. There were few people in on that decision. It was only made public after the enemy was dead. You know, in matters of war, it's a matter of secrets and espionage and sharing info with allies and keeping info from the enemy. War is a matter of great counsels and executing decisions. But one thing all war veterans affirm is that intelligence matters. In Christ, we have intelligence. We have the plan of salvation made known to us. We are in a great war of wisdoms between falsehood and lies versus the truth. Worldly against godly wisdom, the natural wisdom of man versus the spiritual wisdom of God. And that war rages outside and inside each and every one of our hearts. Our hearts are a war-torn battlefield of conflict going on between the flesh and the spirit. But it's by Christ we gain access to God's situation room. We are brought into the counsels of God. We understand the plan of salvation that helps us in our trials, to endure temptation, to reject what is worldly, and choose what is pleasing to God. War reveals villains and raises up heroes. Heroes are demonst- demonstrate their loyalty and their sacrifice by confronting evil with dauntless courage. In Jesus Christ, we have a true hero, one who has conquered sin and death, and one who gladly and willingly gives us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and invites us and leads us in battle. Friend, as you face daily battles, temptations to lie, cheat, lust, betray, cower, and gossip, may you turn repeatedly to the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in the Spirit's wisdom that offers you salvation and hope alone through the redeeming work of Christ. Let us pray.
Gracious God, our Father, you have given us your Son who did not spare him, but gave him freely on our behalf, and have given us your Spirit to lead us in truth and wisdom and knowledge. I pray that you would equip us for every good and perfect work you have ordained for us this week. May we depart with your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.